Hello and welcome to The Stinger, a superfan's guide to the latest in Marvel, Star Wars, and other nerd entertainment. Joining me on today's episode are two guys who I promise will tell no lies. There's no more lies here on this podcast. It's John Battiston and Trent Neely. How are we doing, guys? Uh, so excited to be here to talk about this movie that I've waited for for a long time and to talk with you guys about it is is awesome. You know, uh, Batman was my dad's nickname in college. And, oh, my God. Uh, and uh, yeah, actually, uh, this is a big reveal on the first pod uh, for the first time on the podcast. Uh, Robert Pattinson is my father. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm excited to be here. You know, there's a somehow we haven't gotten to that point as much as we've talked about this movie to all of the bat puns with your name, John. Like, I, I don't know how that hasn't happened yet. That's true. You know, I, I feel like it was just a train that I missed a little too long ago. And it's, you know, once the point is past where you've made good enough friends that you can't make up a nickname anymore. <laughs> right. We're past. We're well past that. So somehow but, you got somehow you got the battle stallion and not Batman. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. I don't know if you wish you could go back in time and change it. But that's that's where it's at. I think we're just going to let my dad have Batman. Like, like <laughs> I don't think he's been referred to that way in 30 years, but we'll let him have it. <laughs> who, know, who knows if he wants to pick it back up? The elder, the elder of Battistons. That's okay. That's okay. Um, thank you all for joining us today for this podcast. If you are enjoying this podcast, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Give a rate and review and follow us at the Stinger Pod on social media. And so, guys, today we are here to talk about The Batman, the Matt Reeves directed film starring Robert Battinson, Robbie Batts, and so many others in this star studded cast. I can't wait. Um, yo, before, before we talk about the movie itself, this is another one of those. We did this when we talked about No Way Home when it came out. But this was another movie where the expectation was the theaters were going to be packed. So I've got to ask, like, John and I watched this movie together in the theater. Trent, you we you know, we're states away, so we couldn't watch it together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How was your theater going experience, Trent? Well, so the theater I go to, like right by my house, is super low key on any day. And also, um, I I think truly, like for for a Thursday night of a Batman movie that I think a lot of people forgot kind of existed, it it was just it was quiet. There was I think ten people total in my theater Thursday Whoa. night. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised if that filled up a little bit more on Saturday, but I think it's just sort of a combination of where we live and sort of, again, people not really realizing maybe that there's a new Batman movie out. Um, Yeah, people, it just sort of flew under the radar. But yeah, literally like 10 people max, including me, my brother-in-law, sister, and my mom. So. Wow. That's a, that's shocking. Did you feel like that changed your enjoyment of the movie at all? Or you feel like it helped you lock in better? Yeah, I mean, I think like, Obviously, like, it would have been fun for, like, some moments to, like, really, like, engage with the audience, like, during the Batmobile chase and stuff, but, uh, but yeah, it was fine, like, and, it was, and you know, it's, I've had a couple weird experiences where, like, my theater was packed during No Way Home, and, like, nobody said anything during that either, so. Interesting. It's been, it's been a weird couple last theater visits for me. Man, I guess Georgia theaters are just a more civilized environment. Um, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta be honest, I wish I was in your theater. 
I don't know how you felt about our experience, John, but it was a roller coaster. Yeah, there was a seating issue in the row in front of us. Uh, mm. where our our guesstimate, I think, Josh, our collective guesstimate was that these few people either didn't understand that movie theaters now have assigned seating kind of <laughs> across the board, or they ignored it thinking that everyone else was going to ignore it. And yep. there was there was some heat going on. I was surprised someone didn't get their head stoved in with a carpet tucker. Like it's <laughs> like there was about to be some violence, but it all got worked out about twenty minutes in. But it was, that was not fun. I so it was not fun. And then the other thing for me was like this. We'll talk about it later. But this movie gave me anxiety. Like I, I legitimately was anxious watching this movie. And then on top of that. You've got like this altercation at the beginning of the movie with people in the wrong seats. And then like I've never seen people get out of their seats and leave the theater so many times in one movie sitting. Mm-hmm. It was wild. The dude sitting in front of us must have went up to get his kid like 15 different snacks. I was like, yo, it is like the popcorn was free flowing. You know, I, I I'll admit, you know, I'm not I'm not guilt free. I had to get up to use the bathroom once, but. It was wild, man. People, it was like, I was so distracted. There was definitely a solid five minute chunk of the movie where I just couldn't focus because there was too much happening around me. But interesting. I admit, I was one of those crazy people who literally planning for the movie's runtime, I like limited how much liquid I took in (laughs) that day. (laughs) My man, let's go. I was like, I I was like, I'm drinking coffee at like 9 a.m. and then I'll have like one big glass of water at like two and then I'm not drinking any liquids after like four. That's amazing, <laughs> and it, it worked. Oh, I didn't have to amazing. pee. That's yeah, appa- apparently, dude. That's awesome. Yeah, it was all in all. It was good to be in a a packed theater again. It was like that for No Way Home, and it was like that for this weekend too. You could tell a lot of people were there at the theater. We had a uh, our friend Alex bought us all uh like little plastic Batman masks. Those we got to take a picture in front of the poster afterwards. So that was great. So yeah, you know. It's great to be back in theaters. It's great to have movies that like capture everybody's attention. So, um, okay. So it's that time, everybody. Uh, let's gather our thoughts and opinions. Let's slip on our Jedi robes, enter the council chamber to discuss everything there is to discuss about the Batman. All right, guys. So, you know, we've done things different for this podcast in terms of reviewing a movie. This movie had about 71 different subplots going on. So I'm going to do us all a favor and just not recap what happened in this movie. So if you haven't seen the movie, by the way, spoiler spoiler alert, you're going to get it spoiled because this is a spoiler heavy discussion. And I'm not going to recall every event that happened in the movie. So I, I, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to do your best to remember what happened here. So. Skipping the recap, let's cut to the chase. Guys, what did you like about this movie? Um, I mean, the the first thing that stood out to me from uh, right off the the bat was uh no pun intended. Um <laughs> was, was just like already. <laughs> there we go. From a pure uh I I hate to use the pretentious term uh, craft, but the pure craft of this movie is incredible. Um yeah. Greg Fraser might very well get back-to-back nominations for cinematography, I think. Between Dune and then now doing this, there's some there's some just amazing camera work here. There's one shot of like 
the camera is on the bumper of the Batmobile and it like stays on the bumper as he does this parallel slide thing as Penguin's cars like tumbling forward that I was like, ah, um, Jaquino's score is incredible. Oh, um, man. yeah, just, just the entire angsty moody atmosphere of this whole thing. Um, <laughs> clearly Reeves and crew just had like a clear vision of like a film noir, dark gritty thing they wanted to do. And they stuck with it so hard. Um, the cast is all great here. There's not a bad performance. Uh, Robert Pattinson is 100% Batman to me. Uh, the Twilight jokes can end here, people. Um, <laughs> no, um, and yeah, this movie does have a lot of plots going on, but I think it actually moved pretty well paced for a three-hour runtime. Um, I, I really loved everything about this movie. I don't have that many major complaints, to be honest. Yeah, I'm on board with everything you said, and I really want to hang on to the idea of its indebtedness to, like, past genre before and genre isn't truly past but obviously like the days when you could get a great film noir hard-boiled detective story uh you know those have had their ebbs and flows over time and they really haven't been at the uh the forefront of culture for a long time but this movie feels extremely simultaneously it feels indebted to alfred hitchcock it feels indebted to uh you know howard hawks auto not howard hawks uh i'm Mixing up my references, but Otto Preminger, uh, like people who would direct these really gritty, dark detective stories all the way up to David Fincher. Mm -hmm. um, and I know the David Fincher comps have been really strong for this movie, but you watch this movie and you're just like, this feels just as inspired by Seven and Zodiac as it is by... I don't know, like, like rear window, like the opening scene, the opening shot was like straight out of rear window. Yeah. Um, and was just such a, an incredible way to set it up as like, just knowing where this movie was coming from. Like it's opening shot is a one-to-one -one homage to the greatest thriller director of all time. And it just really, it, it pays such a loving tribute to cinema of past while also really bringing out the detective element of Batman that really hasn't been at the forefront of any of the movies before it's been there in the background a little bit, but we've been talking about this for two years now where this is the first time him as world's greatest detective is really brought into the spotlight. And, uh, it, it worked on so many levels and from just like the bombastic music to, um, basically the, like you said, the cinematography, basically just carving, images out of darkness like it it felt like we were watching like an old gordon willis movie where mm -hmm, he was just mm -hmm. basically uh making images out of shadow and it, it was just so perfect for the character so perfect for the environment and i i loved it i it's only grown in my estimation in the last 12 or 18 hours that's awesome, that's awesome. i'm so glad because so for for me speaking less about the the craft, so to speak, of the movie. I think something that a lot of the podcasts that I listen to about about these kinds of movies and stuff talk about is how how stories, especially in like this fandom realm of superheroes or fantasy or whatever, they are a window into the current time that we're in a lot of times. And I really felt like this movie did that it was fully like entrenched in the world of gotham and everything but it felt it, it felt different from the past like nolan trilogy batman films and things like that because it was of this time we are 
questioning the institutions at power within Gotham City in this movie and re- looking at the effects that like social media can have on people having a platform to do crazy stuff like the Riddler does in this movie and it's like I felt I felt that very powerful to the to that extent in this movie and then I think I I loved that this felt as for as different as it felt from all of the rest of the Batman movies in in existence it also felt so new and fresh like it somehow it it somehow created that similar feeling that I feel like I had watching the Nolan Batman films of painting Gotham as this incredibly broken and crime-filled city but taking a different angle on it and looking at like the character of Batman as like a younger version and and he still has a lot to learn and he's also different in the way they he goes about doing his job as as Batman like we talked about doing the kind of detective work so i just i just felt like it was such it did such a good job balancing the line of giving us something new and it's still feeling familiar to the rest of what we've understood like Batman movies to be in the past. So I loved it so much. Uh, not needless to say, this wasn't a perfect movie. What were some things that didn't work for y'all with this movie? I mean, this movie is nearly three hours long. And, and while I said in my opening that it moves along pretty well, I do think there are, there are moments where you're, you're like, Oh, this is kind of, getting a little too much tangled up in itself. And so I think there's, I don't know if there's any scene that I'd flat out cut from this movie, but there's, there are definitely moments where I was like, would this be better explored? This subplot be better explored in a whole separate story. Maybe that could get its own fleshed out version. Um, So, so yeah, I think there, there's definitely a question of like, is, is the movie trying to do too much? Um, So, so I think that's the biggest thing. Um, that I would critique. And then for me, it wasn't a problem, but I'm seeing a lot of people online that's like, if you were sort of moving beyond the dark and gritty Batman, like you were done with the Nolan thing, it's like, this is its own thing, but also it is still very much a dark story. So if you're not in the mood to see that kind of Batman again, this probably isn't going to be the movie for you. Sorry. Um, yeah. It worked for me 100% because I do view this character sort of as inherently dark and tragic. So I was down with it, but but I understand how others might be fatigued by that at this point. Yeah. And, you know, I really, like you said, it is much more inherent to the character than, you know, the Adam West 1960s version who like, I mean, that's a fun kind of Batman for some people. And you can also find hints of that in like the Joel Schumacher movies, like very colorful, very poppy. And if you like that, that's great. That's fine. Um, But I really think that this is much more uh, indebted to the actual character. In terms of things that didn't necessarily work for me, I think the biggest thing was that was kind of the character work in and of itself. While I completely disagree with something that we were talking about off mic, which was, you know, some people think that there's a lack of character arcs in this movie, specifically with the Batman character himself. I completely disagree with that. But I also think that some of the character work um, isn't really as, I don't know, it's not as stealthily done as I would have liked, especially on part of the Selena Kyle character. And that has nothing to do with Zoe Kravitz's performance. I think she's dynamite. Um, but I think in her case, and then in some other characters cases, they will over explain their motivations a little bit. They don't really let things be implied. Don't really allow for much subtext. Um, and, 
and you know, I wish I could have seen a little more of that. There's one point at the movie, which like, this is a spoiler heavy discussion, by the way, right? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, very towards the end where Selena is very tempted to kill Carmine Falcone, um, and is screaming like he has to pay because, you know, he's her biological father. He wronged her by not, uh, by disowning her essentially, like we already know that that's what her motivation is. And we already like, we've been delivered that information over and over again. And I think they just kind of felt the need to spoon feed the emotional undertones of the movie a little bit. Whereas I think the cinematics and the performances themselves already speak for those character dynamics well enough. That was a big thing. I think it just didn't play into the subtlety of the rest of the movie and the darkness and the subversiveness of the rest of the movie but that was really the only major thing. And uh, I honestly didn't mind the length that much. I loved feeling immersed in the story. And like Trent and I were texting about uh, last night, for a three-hour movie, went by pretty darn swiftly Yeah, uh, from, yeah. from my standpoint. I agree, actually. The length didn't bother me either. I mean, I, I guess that could be partly because I knew it would be that long going into it. But I, it felt very well-paced. I agree with you, Trent. I don't know if there's a scene I would take out. I do think that they could have probably just gotten to certain elements of the plot a little bit quicker. But that also, like, then we might have lost some really good scenes. Like the, like one of the things that sticks out to me is the the car scene chase as he's yes. chasing down the penguin. Yes, and you get to it, and and like they get to the penguin, and it's like, okay, did y'all really like? Y'all needed the penguin to explain this joke to you, this little riddle to you. Like, so we did all this for for nothing. Now we have to go to a totally different place to get the next clue. But then we would have never got the car scene chase. So it's just right. like it, you know, it is what it is. Plus, like, we, plus got, we get that, we get that great visual gag of uh, him tied up and waddling like a penguin. Yes, in the zip ties, like <laughs> that so got perfect. me so good. It was perfect, man. When he started, yeah, the waddling killed me the only one who took first grade spanish like (laughs) exactly also colin farrell like immaculate like like everyone talks about the makeup but also like he totally gets rid of his irish accent and i i could listen to him do his like al capone type vibe for 12 hours Um, i definitely yeah i definitely have a distant cousin named sal who's a dead ringer for this guy like so good i really i really hope they bring him back for whenever this this uh batman sequel is gonna come out because well we're gonna get a we're gonna get a tv show with him too oh wait really yeah we're getting a penguin specific tv show set in this universe with con farrell and executive produced by reeves actually that's awesome i actually like that better i think uh give him his own world to cook in that would be awesome that'd be awesome the other the other thing that stuck out to me was uh I don't know about you guys, but there was a moment when I think it was when they were on the rooftop with the abducted Gotham City cop and they're playing the voicemail of him strangling Annika um, where and then there uh, Selena is basically discussing like what's her next move going to be. It's going to go it's going to be to go kill Falcone because he's the rat or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And I legitimately forgot for a second that he was her father. And I was like, I feel like that's a pretty big plot point that uh, that should have bore a little bit more weight than I feel like it did because there was so much other stuff to pay attention to. I think it was just like a 
I was a victim of falling. <laughs> I got lost in the sauce a little bit of trying to keep <laughs> up with trying to keep up with everything. I, I don't know if it was, was there. Was it confusing to you guys at all? The 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 mystery plot was did it confuse you guys at all? I didn't get confused. Um, it, it is one of those things where it's like the movie. The movie asks you to bounce around a lot, but also does ask you to remember things throughout the whole runtime. So it, it does it does demand your attention. So yeah. I was never confused, but I definitely like if I was you can't I don't think you could passively watch this movie like casually in a background and still get like the, the impact that you're meant to have for sure. Right. And it also trusts the viewer uh, and trusts the viewer with a lot of information that happens like off camera, even before the story starts, like a big part of uh, kind of the story the spider web story behind all of this mystery was a drug bust that happened before the timeline of the movie happened mm-hmm. involving, uh, a, a big organized criminal criminal named, uh, Salvatore Moroni, who, if I remember correctly, doesn't even appear in the movie. Yeah. Um, correct. And, uh, so that can, I mean, that can get disorienting pretty quickly, especially because Moroni and Falcone are not <laughs> dissimilar names. Uh, and so, I don't know. It, it, you can get lost in the weeds if you're if you're not locked in. But yeah, yeah. I and it's a it's a very like it's a very small complaint because I think all in all, like all those all those weeds that they had to dig through just elevated the like the crime thriller element of the movie that it was. So, uh, mm-hmm. what what were y'all's favorite scenes? Because I, you know, I want to, I want to go back to what you guys talked about in the craft of this movie. What, what were y'all's favorite scenes from, you know, either a visual standpoint or an emotional standpoint? Go um, for it. The, the first one that really stood out to me was the, the first time we, we see the Batman in action and we have this great um, sort of serial killer-esque voiceover from Pattinson where he's just like, I have to choose my targets carefully. Um, like, and I, like I could be anywhere in the shadows. And then we get that awesome thing of we hear his footfalls before we see him on camera and he just comes out of this alley and utterly uh just beats these like these gangsters down um and i Um, think that seems great from a visual standpoint because it all plays out in this one long extended take but also um i think it actually sets up batman's character arc brilliantly and i don't know if people i I don't want to be one of those guys who are like people didn't get it but i don't know if people realized (laughs) how thematically important that scene is um which i can talk a little um Cause like, so should I jump to the end now? Yeah, go for it. So, so like, yeah, the whole end of this movie is he realizes like, he even says at the beginning, like, I don't know if I'm having an impact. And so the whole point of this movie is maybe beating up criminals and just letting them go and hoping fear does the work doesn't work. Like maybe you actually need to arrest criminals and like help civilians to actually do some good, which I think is the point of the movie. So I think having that opening stalking scene helped set that up perfectly at the beginning it did i i literally couldn't agree more trent i'm so glad you said this because this is what baffles me when you said like uh batman didn't have a character people are saying batman didn't have a character arc because it's like okay do you literally like like go back to where he started and it's yeah it's like i'm imposing my will on the streets of gotham by just just being fear itself like he is just embodying fear and at the end one of my favorite scenes is him cutting him. the rope with the with the the little bat signal off his chest and diving mm-hmm. into the water. 
lighting the flare and then going and rescuing all those people and leading them through the flooded arena with the flare in his arm. And it's just like, what a, what a great visual uh, representation of what his character, that that's his character arc. He goes from being the fear inducing hero to like the hope inducing hero for these, you know, these civilians who have been trapped under this debris that just like really resonated with me. And to go back to the beginning scene though, Gosh, it was so like if you're not going to do an origin story for Batman and explain how he became Batman, like you better understand where the character's at at the start of the movie. And that to me, I, I haven't seen like a better it, we, we've seen some of the popular characters in superhero movies and stuff like that get a non origin story like, you know, Tom Holland, Spider-Man um, and some some movies like that. And I felt like this was like one of the best ways to introduce a character without giving us his origin story. Just give us a depiction of what he does. And the fear on every single criminal's face in the streets of Gotham, when that signal came on, was just like, Oh, okay. So, so this Batman is like feared and it it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, But it was also interesting because like, I felt so reminded through that explanation and through the visuals of like, them seeing him in the shadows supposedly like it almost reminded me of the halloween movies with Mm -hmm. like it was just like oh you tell people about him and they'll see him around every street corner he wants to be the boogeyman like he wants Mm -hmm. to rule by fear but then he also mentions in that initial voiceover i've been doing this for two years somehow crime is up yeah and he's coming to the realization that if you rule by fear like it's it's not ultimately going to solve anything like you guys said ultimately fear is what drives violence it is what drives animosity and enmity and discord um and even the kind of fear that he wants to instill which is essentially righteous fear if you can put it into those terms he realizes maybe that's not what his city needs yeah and and i think it's just great it's not only a great um character arc for him in this movie but a great setup for a potential sequel is like okay how you do that and we know we know there's like a laundry list of villains in the batman catalog that they could pull from to make that even harder to do so and you know he says at the at the end like it's gonna get worse before it gets better and that is like all right so <laughs> so batman 2 is about to get ugly is uh that's what it that's what it told me so um how did how did y'all feel about you know, we're, we're kind of talking about this character arc for Batman and the, the general theme of this movie for him being a, trying to be not just like a guy that beats up criminals, but a hero. What do you think of the other themes in this in this movie, whether that be, you know, the the corrupt institutions that they try to highlight and, and just like how do you feel about the story they chose for for this iteration of Batman? I, I thought the corrupt institution thing worked from from the angle of um for the stuff with like the Riddler's plan, I thought it was great because at the beginning of the movie, I think it's no accident that the movie opens on the Riddler's perspective. And then we go through the Batman scene that we all just talked about where at the beginning of the story, they're both men who are um, enacting their own form of justice on people. Um, And then the Riddler's progression though, as a character is by the end of the movie, he's willing to have his followers target this newly elected mayor not because she's done anything corrupt yet, but he's gotten to the point of like the system itself is so corrupted inherently that she will get corrupted. 
So we have to like take that chess piece off the board preeminently. And that's, and that's where Batman learns there's a separation between him and the Riddler. Cause like the Riddler's like, we're the same. And Batman's like, he can't even really I'm argue really that at the beginning. Here. Um, and even Selena Kyle says like, you sound like you're happy that like the police commissioner got what he deserved or whatever. Um, and, but, and so it really isn't until that moment of Riddler taking it to the step further of preemptively judging somebody that Batman realizes what separates them. So I thought that was a great way to to do that. Yeah. And that kind of ties into the other theme that uh, I really enjoyed them digging into, which was like essentially the theme of legacy um, mm-hmm. because a big role, a big part of this movie, especially in the last, I'd say like third of the movie um, is Bruce grappling with the mistakes that his father made in wanting to protect his family's legacy, not even necessarily protect their power, protect their money, um, but protect the legacy of his wife, Martha, um, uh, Bruce's mother. And, you know, that's something where you will see like image and legacy driving leaders in our own world to really awful extremes. I mean, we're in the middle of a really awful international situation that you could argue is very driven by the idea of legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to pretend to be Vladimir Putin's personal psychologist, but um, <laughs> all that to say, like that's something where Bruce essentially has to learn like, okay, legacy is something that you do determine for yourself. Like, is it something that you are going to like govern you? Is it something that you are going to essentially like, you're going to let it determine who you are? Or can you move past it and essentially forge your own chapter of your own story, which I know like tell your own story is like a, such a cliche of uh, fiction or really of media today, but I think it applies to the Batman character in many ways, definitely in terms of him trying to do good and trying to uh, disseminate justice in a way that uh, his parents and his father specifically, while they sure tried, never really could. Um, and also trying to do so without bringing any damage to uh, any undue damage to others. Like it's revealed his father did by accidentally or unintentionally having a journalist killed. Um, And I don't know, like essentially learning to forge a new legacy is a really important theme of this story through all of its iterations. And I think they made it pretty powerful. So I, I I love it. I, I think they did too. And he even, I mean, yeah, the, the aspect of them diving into the history of the Waynes in this too, I felt like is a, is another fresh take for like a new Batman movie. It's not to, 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 to kind of investigate what their legacy was and not just not, not for Bruce's story to not just be my parents died. And now I have to overcome that. It's like, there's a whole added weight to who were my parents and like, should I be carrying on their legacy? What, what should my legacy be? So I, I love that. I love that something the Batman movies have done super well in the past uh, is especially, I think about it with the dark Knight, especially is how much Batman villains want to insist that he's basically just like them. They're, they're basically the same people. They might be, going at uh going at it for different reasons but they're like you know J- joker has several lines to christian bale's batman in those movies of of just like you know me and you were we're basically the same and the riddler kind of hints at that in this movie too and i think it's uh i i really enjoyed 
how much Batman has to work to rationalize what he's doing in his own head and create a distinction for himself between him and the Riddler. And then like for to, to kind of guide Selena Kyle along that path as well. Right. Of like, how, how do we separate ourselves from the enemy? If you, if Selena, if you kill your dad, that's going to take something from you that you look around at these, at the, uh, the other villains, like the Riddler and stuff, like it had taking someone's life has a toll. Um, and I, I feel like also for, for it being a steady Batman trope that Batman doesn't kill. I feel like that's one of the best explanations we've got for it in any of the other movies. Like usually it's just like, ah, I can't, I can't kill. Cause that's, you know, that's a bad thing. And I'm the moral righteous character. And like, that's, that's great. But I feel like this added another layer to it, which is great. Another reason I think the more I talk about it, I'm just like, yeah, this, this movie was freaking awesome at the way at the layers it added to the Batman lore. Like it really did. I, it really did a lot for me. No, I mean, and I thought it was, I thought it was a brilliant choice to have, a Riddler henchman near the end repeat his mantra of I am vengeance to him. Yes. Because I think the movie could have effectively, effectively, truly, I say this, effectively written a scene where Jim Gordon or Andy Serkis's Alfred like says to Bruce, he's like, like you have to do better basically. And I think they could have written a really beautiful scene, but I think having Bruce realize that his noble mantra be um, used by this person who's committing these horrible acts of violence and that being his, catalyst for change i thought was a really brilliant um and surprisingly like emotionally resonant uh writing move on the movie's part oh absolutely yeah i that that was another moment that really stuck out to me and yeah it was it was crafted really well i um i want to talk about the characters a little bit this movie let's talk about the characters we've done it like right like we've seen these we've seen all these people before like how many iterations of Alfred and Jim Gordon and Selena Kyle and Bruce Wayne have we gotten? But yet I some of these iterations in this movie, I absolutely loved so much. Um, but let's start with the the center of it all. Batman. How do how do we feel about the way Robert Pattinson portrayed Bruce Wayne and Batman in this movie. How did it separate itself from the the other Batman movies, and uh, or maybe not? I think for me, my my favorite thing that this movie did was it sort of takes this trope of um, usually in in portrayals, it's always been that you know Batman's the stoic, silent guy who just walks around intimidatingly, and um, Bruce Wayne is this playboy, but also has this you know very um, serious emotional drama. And I like that this movie flipped that to the opposite where Pattinson talks way more as Batman in this movie and his Bruce yeah. Wayne virtually says nothing throughout the entire thing. I thought that was genius personally. Um, just the fact that like, yeah, he and Jim Gordon are just like chilling out in crime scenes, actually talking through the crimes. And then Bruce Wayne, um, one of my other favorite scenes in the movie is where Bruce Wayne goes to this funeral and he like says nothing for an entire five minute scene, but he's just like looking at everyone and everything and still thinking about what's going on. I thought, it was just a genius move by Reeves and Pattinson's part to really sort of switch that dynamic around. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. And I think uh, it's easy to go in ready to make fun of the character just because of how many comps there have been to uh, 
like just super emo culture. Like this is emo Batman. And I think they're oh, yeah. leaning into it hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Matt Reeves said himself, like he based this iteration of the character off of Kurt Cobain, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, th- that just gets solidified by a double Nirvana needle drop at the front and end of the movie, which I think worked beautifully. Um, but I think they really do tap into how, through the cape and cowl, he essentially tries to cover up his trauma or like put on a front that'll help him power through it. And then when he sheds that, he essentially has nothing left from an emotional standpoint and is an extremely broken man. Um, And you see all the scars on his back. You see the remnants of his eye makeup just dripping down his face. And you essentially, you don't see the, uh, the uh, formidable nature of the Batman that we know, you just see a really sad dude who probably listens to MCR a little too much. And, but it, it just works so effectively and the casting is a big part of that. Um, and uh, I don't know. I think he just taps into uh, the fragility of uh, Bruce Wayne extremely well. Um, and not in a way that's cheesy, not in a way that, just makes you think this guy is annoyingly somber and uh, just broody because there is a, an outcome in which that happens. Like there is a scenario in which like you just get annoyed with how bummed out this dude is all the time, but he plays it in such a way that it's so relatable that it just, it, it works and it flourishes and I'm really happy with how it turned out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like how, this version of Bruce Wayne taps into he's not resistant to his emotions. He taps into him clearly. I think of to me that his conversation with Alfred in the hospital was uh, was another one of my favorite scenes of him just willingly acknowledging I'm scared of this. I'm scared of losing another loved one, uh, which is awesome. Like that, like to see to see, you know, the superhero admit that is crazy. And then I also didn't feel like it was a. Uh, yeah, I, I I didn't feel like his only emotion in the movie was was sadness either. Like it it was, you know, he fell in love in this movie too, which you know we could talk about a little bit as well. Uh, I first first before we do that, I just got I it's it's you know it's a burning question I have. Robert Pattinson, like good Batman, great Batman, greatest of all time, Batman. What 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 are we saying? I'm I'm close to saying greatest of all time purely for the reason of I oh think, wow I purely purely for the reason that um I I feel like all the other Batman we've gotten before this have been either amazing Batman or amazing Bruce Wayne I feel like this is the first one where like an actor did something unique with both sides of the coin so so I'm yeah. close for that reason alone it, it it just puts it over the edge for me. Um, but, but, but yes, I still have all the love for all the Batman. Heck, I have a Val Kilmer poster behind me. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if you, Trent, you didn't see, you didn't see this, but, uh, Val Kilmer Batman just shed a tear, uh, through the poster behind you. Yeah, as I know. You, as I know. you said those words. I, I, yeah. And it, it might be recency bias. I could change my mind, but I think, yeah, I think Pattinson just creating something unique for both sides of the persona really puts it over the edge for me that I'm going to think about more than some of the other ones. Wow. Oh my gosh. John, I got to say like I'm 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 getting toward that point myself. Um and I think it is it is what Trent said where it's not necessarily him doing better at 
either persona than the other actors. It's him doing them so differently, but making them work. Um, but I also have to say as Batman specifically, I was not expecting Robert Pattinson to have the physical formidability and Mm -hmm. dominance that he brought to the character. He is honestly terrifying. Like if you, if you saw that dude walking towards you and even if you knew it was freaking Edward Cullen, like you'd be, (laughs) you would be running Mm because just the way he carries himself as like this really solid totem of just fear and violence is like, it's really effective. Um, and he doesn't have like the nimbleness of the Christian Bale Batman. He obviously doesn't have like quite the quippiness of the Val Kilmer or God forbid, George Clooney Batman, but, (laughs) but he has a sense of foreboding that I really think the other Batman Batman don't fill in quite as effectively. And I think he just knocked it out. Uh, so I was really impressed. I can't. I, it's a to be determined for me. But I will say that I feel like the one. So I didn't. Uh, I didn't grow up watching the Michael Keaton movies. I've seen them uh, because my dad loved the those those iterations of Batman. But I don't. I don't remember much. So I honestly need to go back and rewatch those movies uh, to to have a better answer. I feel like, and then. But if I'm going to compare this to my Batman, which is Christian Bale, I'm be honest. Like in the Christian Bale Batman movies, Batman isn't always the isn't always the central figure. Like there's there's more. I had you have more fascination with the supporting characters at times. And in this movie, I felt like Robert Pattinson made Batman what I cared about the most all the time. And it, mm-hmm. it wasn't just because of the writing and directing. Like Robert Pattinson brought that kind of gravitas to the character. So I am with you guys. I'm leaning towards like he's close to being there, but I feel like I got to see more, more reps under the belt first, you know, cause we know we're going to get more. Um, I feel like when it's all said and done, we will be saying he's the best. I, but you know, quick, quick side, uh, side tangent justice for Batfleck. We still didn't, we still didn't get enough Ben Affleck Batman. Uh, I will stand by that to this day. Like, I think he could have been the goat had he got some more some more shots, but that's just you know that's just. I, I agree. Think. We needed we needed some more. He was doing some interesting stuff in there. So one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yeah, he got done dirty by bad movies. Exactly. Yeah, but oh well. Uh, okay. The what what I was talking about before, we got a little we got a little Batman love story in this mm-hmm. in this movie as well. How how'd y'all like the dynamic between uh, Batman and Catwoman? And then uh, Zoe Kravitz's performance as Catwoman in general. Yeah, um, no, the the dynamic I thought was really great where, you know, they, they definitely did some of the, the flirtatious vibe thing, but they didn't also, like, do this thing of, like, their love story overtook Bruce's personal journey, which I thought was a really tough balancing act that I think they actually nailed pretty well. Um, I thought Zoe Kravitz was great. Um, yeah. Genuinely kind of amazing. Um I mean, she's great in pretty much everything. Um, she also was great in earlier this year's Kimmy on HBO Max, by the way. Got to shout that out real quick. Okay. Um, um, but yeah, no, she was great. I loved how the movie introduced her into the plot because I was looking at the trailers like, how is why is she joining up with Batman? Is she going to have like a change of heart? And I'm like, nah, she's just like, I'm worried about her friend. 
like you can help me out with that also i'm trying to steal some cash so like it just works <laughs> out that we're gonna work together on this um so so i thought um catwoman was utilized perfectly for the story i like where they left her off for the future of the franchise where she's had this dark journey with falcone um and, and it could lead to some very interesting places but yeah fully on board with what kravitz and team were doing there yeah i'm with you there and well for one the the casting of Zoe Kravitz was just extremely inspired. Um, and as we were walking out of the theater, uh, I mentioned to a couple of people, I think mainly our mutual friend Curtis, I said, Zoe Kravitz could have sexual tension with a brick wall. Like she, <laughs> she just brings such, I, there, you can't really put it into words. Like she really has that X factor for, um, for that kind of character. And, th- and that really defines Selena Kyle through all the different iterations. Um, but I think she makes it work really well. Like you said, Trent, I think she comes into the story very organically, obviously first as uh, a waitress at the, what is it called? Like the iceberg uh, lounge. ice lounge. Thank you. Um, and then like basically patents and spying on her, uh, because she's related to this girl that was caught caught in these photos. And then he follows her to see like, oh, she's a cat burglar. And she is pretty intensely related to this big murder. And it it's not just them randomly crossing paths. It's like it falls together really well. And I don't know. And there's definitely a lot of great chemistry between the between the two actors. And despite the fact that, you know, Robert Pattinson has his mask on the entire time they're interacting. Like you can really only see half his face. Like they make it work. And uh, I don't know. I would, I I would hate for this to be, uh, you know, the only time that she really shows out in the series in this planned trilogy, because it seems like she's kind of making her way out of Gotham for an undisclosed amount of time. But something tells me she'll be back because she did great. I hope so too. Uh, They're, they're, they complemented each other so well, Batman and and Selena Kyle. Uh, just from their backgrounds being so different, but yet that helps them, I think, kind of inform each other of you know their motivations and and probably helps reshape how they're thinking about this this whole chaotic situation as they're going about it. And then they're like a good fit. They're good for like physical complement as well. Like they both. I think, you know, we, we got a pretty even fight between them and they go in and save each other at the end too. That was something I just, I just thought of as well. Like they are both there to save each other from the one Riddler henchman at the end of the movie. Um, I love that. I love, I mean, again, I, I'm going to sound like I'm a broken record here. Zoe Kravitz was amazing as this character. I feel like she's the best Catwoman I've seen in all the, all the Batman movies. And I, uh, I really like that. They, they didn't make her a sidekick in this movie. They didn't necessarily always work as a team, but this wasn't, she wasn't someone Batman just called on for, for help. And that's it. I actually, I had it like as the, when she's in the, the club beneath the club, the 44 below club or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she's wearing the little contact lens spying for Batman. I found it. I, I, it was, I found it so, uh, compelling how 
Bruce is literally trying to puppeteer her and direct her every move to get the information he wants. And she's like, no, I'm not like, I'm done. I'm done being your puppet. Like I'm, I need, I'm here to find out now what I need to know about Annika or about Falcone and, and operates on her own self-will and like, Bruce doesn't know how to deal with that at first. And so I think, I don't know. They, they did a really good job making them a, a good complimentary pair throughout this movie. So I really like that a lot. Yeah. And going off that scene too, one of my favorite moments in the movie is where she's like talking to the, the district attorney guy and like Bruce all seriously is like, he's really high. And she's like, no duh. And then the guy's <laughs> like, what? And she's like, Oh yeah. What? Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Yeah. That's a great scene. Um, how about uh how about the Riddler? Was the Riddler a good villain? Okay, so Paul Dano is one of the best actors working like right now. So so when he was cast on paper, I was already all the way in. Um Trey, what what else is he in, just real quick? Because I, I was unfamiliar with them. Alright, so if you want more of his like dark angsty stuff, I would recommend There Will Be Blood or Prisoners for him. He's also great in a little indie movie called Little Miss Sunshine. Those are like the three ones that I always pick. Okay, got you. Cool. Um, but but yeah, he was he was so great. Um, the first time he gets to really shine, I think, as an actor, is that during the the riddle scene after the funeral, where the guy's trying to answer the questions, and he's just like this demented game show host. Um, he's yeah. like correct, like. <laughs> um, and then a scene that I was not sure on in theaters, but gr- has grown on me since, is the whole jail cell confrontation with Batman, where he dementedly sings Ave Maria. And I thought at first it was hokey, and now I'm kind of like, this is the most brilliant acting choice I've seen in recent memory. Uh, um, no, I really I really liked everything about it. I know he's getting a lot of Joker comparisons, but I really don't think he was trying to compete with Heath Ledger at all. Um, I think he does his own thing, and I think having him view a weird uh, a kinship with Batman was such a, re- uh, such a interesting choice, and having him be genuinely devastated that Batman's not empathetic to his point of view, I thought was really cool. Um, no, I loved everything Paul Dano was doing. Yeah, I did too. And like you said, like in those movies, like there will be blood and, uh, prisoners like Paul Dano is one of those guys who he can act really well in terms of like, you know, those characters that either a little or a lot just have a lot of mental distress going on. Like he can pull that off very well from an acting standpoint if you listen to an interview with the guy, he's very straight laced, pretty normal. Like mm-hmm. he's like, you would not think this is the same dude who just like, you know, went insane inside of an Arkham cell for five minutes. Um, and, but no, I think he definitely brought the creepiness factor. Uh, he ratcheted it up very well and very effectively. Um, and I was reading and, kind of the same way that they were making Batman a tie-in to Kurt Cobain. They really wanted to make the Riddler uh, kind of a a comp to the Zodiac Killer um, from the 60s and 70s, kind of based on some of the the phone calls that he left and um, and just manipulating his voice and also just sounding, just really speaking uh, as if he's living on another, like on another planet, just really has an entirely different perception of the world not a good one, but a different one. Um, and I think Dano pulls that off really well. And I don't know, I, I, it made, it made it effective. And he was also kind of similarly to Pattinson, I think made himself very physically imposing, um, in the costume that he was given the Riddler costume is terrifying. It looks, you know, kind of like 
it looks kind of weirdly like a gimp costume. Um, but he really just like, he manipulates his voice really well. He, uh, is very unpredictable in his movements. Like when he, you know that he's in the shadows in the opening scene, like the opening murder scene, but like when he finally emerges and kills the mayor of Gotham, like it's still very shocking. Um, and the noise that he makes, I th- I think he pulled it off really well. Yeah. I, I think he, his performance was great to me. Yeah. Um, I, I'm torn. I, cause I, I guess I am one of the people that, if it felt very joker adjacent to me and i don't think it's because of paul dano's performance um because i thought he brought something different to the table than heath ledger did it was a and the other thing is the the joker didn't really have a purpose in what he was doing uh it was just pure chaos and the riddler did there was like a clear intent his intent was to expose the corruption in the system of Gotham. Um, it's really, I guess the only things that was tougher for me to engage with was the, I guess the way in which it was, um, it, it was, it was, uh, I can, I lost the words. The way they executed it felt very similar to some scenes in the dark night where, where the Joker takes someone hostage and then leaks a video of him torturing you said hostage, um, which I know, I guess there's not that much you can, you can change about it. Um, but it, 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 those, those aspects of it, it, the Joker is such a hard act to follow in terms of like Batman villains. He'll always, the Heath Ledger Joker, I think will always be the best one. I think this Riddler villain was really, really close to it, but I don't think I could put it above something like what Heath Ledger gave us with the Joker. It did, it did feel like it pulled a little bit from from Heath Ledger Joker in, in The Dark Knight. And it also ties into that a little bit because in both versions, they're able to accrue pretty sincere followings of similarly disillusioned people, but pretty, pretty much entirely men. And uh, I thought it was honestly really funny even though it was effective, I thought it was really funny that they find his final post to this form that he's using. He's basically Jake Paul. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, this community has meant so much to me. Uh, continue to like and subscribe. Yes, bro. He asked, he says, thank you for subscribing. <laughs> like this like, dude probably has a link, uh, has a Linktree account. Like he literally, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's putting in the work to crank out that content. Uh, I just, uh, exactly, bro. This is what I was thinking. Like side tangent. Imagine, Riddler just got finished like having putting trauma blows with the little carpet tool to someone's head and torturing them on camera and then he's got to fire up the MacBook and open up Premiere Pro to splice it all together and then put it on his YouTube page like, a selfie with the body <laughs> he's got like the ring light in front of him beforehand trying to get everything positioned correctly oh man i that had me dying like the fact that the riddler was also a content creator that to me you know that's just really a window into our times also i Uh, loved that like i genuinely i say this i'm not making fun i genuinely loved that like he was so concerned about his identity being found out that he like disguised his voice except for his followers yeah Um, but and i'm like and i'm like that speaks to his arrogance though that he's like oh like there's no way like somebody could be like a undercover cop pretending to be a follower and i'm gonna use totally my real voice and everything like in these videos and that's I thought a that was a nice point. little touch too. That's a yeah, that's a great touch. Um, 
Oh, one, two, one other thing I want to hit on. Gotham City is a character. Every you know, mm-hmm. every time we enter a Batman movie, um, and this Gotham, I, I mean, like, to me, this was for the early parts of the movie, the most compelling part of the movie was seeing how broken and corrupt it was. How how do you think they executed Gotham City? Yeah, for me, this was like the perfect balance of um sort of a sort of an in between between um Tim Burton's like gothic gargoyle statues on buildings everywhere and then Nolan's basically like recreating just the look of Chicago. I, I like that there's a lot of, you know, tall, imposing buildings and dark corners. I like that it's always raining straight out of like seven, literally. <laughs> it's raining in like every scene. Um, so, so yeah, I thought this was a happy medium of like, this is the dark, grungy Gotham of the comics for sure. But also it's not like so angsty and gothic that it feels sort of detached from planet Earth. I thought that was a really happy medium to take. And it's it's sort of a subtle thing, but it... it it carves its own place out of the, the many iconic production designs for Gotham we've seen before, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think it very much plays into the corruption theme of the movie where it's like, basically the way that everybody talks about Gotham is almost as if like, you cannot be a major player in the city or hardly even a citizen in the city without essentially being corrupted by the city, talking about it as if like it is the, uh, the demonizing force behind all of this evil and at, at almost as if like the people themselves have nothing to do with it. It's not their own sin. It's not their own wrongdoing that really makes the city as bad as it is. Like it's almost the, the bad of the people and the bad of the city has become inextricable from one another. And big driving force for Batman, especially toward the end is his motivation to essentially prove that this, this city does not control it's people like we as the people are the city and we can decide to make it to give it a good legacy again. Um, Obviously, uh, you know, that proves very difficult. The city is like extremely foreboding being as dark as it is. I think we've determined that Gotham city uh, is set in Alaska during the winter, because I think there was approximately four minutes of daylight in this whole movie. Um, Oh yeah. Yes, that, but, was, that was Mama Neely's like biggest complaint. She's like, "There's no <laughs> sunlight anywhere." <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, honestly, it's it really it felt more like it was playing a role in this story than a lot of the other films that came before. Um, especially because they made it its own thing. The design team, the production design behind this uh, behind this movie is incredible, um, and they give it so much character. They, I I completely agree. Yeah, this felt this Gotham City felt a little more alive than other depictions of Gotham. It, like you, it was very very believable that this uh, we're not being introduced to. It. I mean, we are, but like we're being introduced to it, believing that believing the past corruption and everything uh, is it is very uh, believable. Though the one thing that caught me off guard, though, I just have to say. Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna name a sports arena in your city, uh, Gotham Square Garden does does feel a little Madison Square Garden adjacent. I'm just I'm just saying it had me thinking like uh, is there is there a basketball team in Gotham as bad as the Knicks? And I just like I felt like we didn't get to explore that enough uh, in this movie. Is uh, is the state of Gotham basketball? You know, I I just I'm curious is like is Zion waiting to get traded there or what? Like I 
Matt Reeves, if you hear me, we we got it. We got to explore that next time. I mean, um, if that is the case, then Batman really needs to adjust his focus. I think he needs to be shaking up the ownership a little bit. Just <laughs> yeah. We haven't been. Right. We haven't gotten a final championship in 30 years. <laughs> this makes perfect sense. If they're fighting corruption all over Gotham, there's bound to be a James Dolan-esque owner of the Gotham basketball team like like James Dolan in real life. I, I just, I believe it. It, it mm-hmm. makes too much sense. Okay. Um, real, real, very, uh, very quick. And then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up our review of this, so to speak. Uh, the other, the other, I mean, big characters for any Batman movie is Jim Gordon and, and Alfred. Uh, did y'all like the Gordon and Alfred iterations we got here? Yeah, real quick. I got to say, Jeffrey Wright was a brilliant choice to have as a Batman. Um, and, and one of my favorite things about this movie, um, we talked about how earnest of a detective story it is, but also just like the way other cops too react to Batman being around. Like one of my favorite things is in the opening, like the photographer's trying to get a shot of the body and Batman's in the way. And he's like, I got to get through there. And he like says it so quietly and Batman just looks <laughs> at him and then like takes one hesitant step back. Um, <laughs> and then Jeffrey Wright leads to like one of my favorite comedic things in the whole movie where like Batman has like just woken up in like a holding cell and, and <laughs> Jeffrey Wright, we've seen Batman like, do the puff of smoke disappear thing a million times, but Jeffrey Wright's just like, man, you're gonna have to punch me in the face and just run through this door. <laughs> and then Batman like is like, okay. And he just punches him in the face. And then it leads to this great bit where clearly like he's developed this technology for the wingsuit, but he's never used it before. And he's just like, okay, this is gonna be the the test in the field for this today. And he bounces off a freaking city bus. I thought that was the oh. uh just just uh, it was so good. No, Jeffrey Wright's amazing. Um, and everything he's in, I just watched him in the French Dispatch. Uh, please, please give Jeffrey Wright all the love. He's so good. He's he's also the Watcher. He is also I mean, the Watcher. No, Jeffrey Wright's been just going ham recently. I he j- like Gordon was, I thought the biggest. Well, I don't, I don't want to. Gary Oldman's Gordon is really good, but I don't know. Some about the Jeffrey Wright Gordon was like, I think this might be the best one. But that's just my opinion. I, I loved him so much. Yeah. And I think a really great part of Gordon's character is his ability to make Batman question himself and like really give him like, I, I think he's a really uh, good counterweight for how confident and determined Batman can be to essentially just try to keep him in check and just be like, you might be crossing the line here, buddy. And uh, yeah. And with other actors, I mean, like as much as I adore Gary Oldman and literally everything he's in, like he... Gives off a vibe of like a cop that that can be a little more easily pushed around, um, yep. and like doesn't necessarily have the formidable nature that I think Wright brings to the role. Like he, you can tell, this guy's been through some stuff. Like he's very grizzled. He is like he he just seems very haunted by what by all this corruption that he's seen in the city. But he also has a very very clear sense of decency um, beneath essentially a pretty thick layer of cynicism. Um, and so I think Jeffrey Wright carries that perfectly. He's a fantastic actor. Um, and yeah, I, I want him to stay in these movies as long as he can. Me too. Me too. Me too. He, he was great. Um, Andy Serkis as Alfred was I felt like good. We just didn't see a lot of them. So I, I feel like I can't comment that much. Yeah, this is one of my few critiques of the movie because I think Andy Serkis is great. I actually love the change to Batman's origin story that instead of 
him like traveling the world and training with ninjas as awesome as that is alfred admits that he was the one who trained bruce and he's like basically i only did it because that was the only way i knew to help you but i think it may have been a mistake Mm. um i thought that was actually a really great character moment um but but yeah i think for a movie that wants to be about the sins of the father and father figures it was strangely weird to only have two scenes with bruce's surrogate father figure um so so yeah i think they should have had more of him in it and i hope he that relationship is explored in more depth in the next one yeah 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 and and i thought it was so interesting because like in other iterations like with the michael kane um alfred in the nolan trilogy who i think is great and i love that version of alfred but Mm -hmm. he still does kind of more or less go along with everything that batman decides on which i mean ultimately bruce wayne is his employer and so, I mean, you can't, there's only so far you can push your employer before you just have to say, all right, whatever. Um, but this version of Alfred seems very term- determined not to take a lot of Bruce's crap. Like he seems, it almost seems like they have a relationship of like, like they very clearly love each other, but they don't always like each other. Um, yeah. Like I think this Alfred seems very fed up with Bruce's obsessions uh, from the get go, like he's just like you are letting your business essentially drive itself into the ground. You're clearly sustaining physical injuries that you're not going to be able to handle without addressing them. But Bruce is very has tunnel vision for addressing uh, justice and for doling out violence. And you can tell uh, that this version of Alfred f- feels guilty for it, like you said, Trent, mm-hmm. um, and also wishes that. Bruce had grown up into something different, uh, into something healthier. Um, and I think, you know, seems very reluctant to help in the ways that he can and keeps it pretty bare bones, like decoding the Riddler's ciphers, uh, things like that. But like really never manning the calm whenever Bruce is out in the field, like he doesn't stay that hands on. Um, but the, the kind of unspoken, dissonance between them that does come out in that really beautiful hospital scene that might be my favorite scene in the whole movie that's not Mm action-based but um there just seems to be a lot of unspoken hurt and like yearning between them and a lot of uh just a lot of regret and i think andy circus carries that very well Mm -hmm. yeah i'm with you there okay we uh we're gonna wrap up our review with two questions first where does this batman movie rank amongst the rest of batman movies it again it could be recency bias but in terms of the live action ones um i i think this is my favorite one um for the for the reason that you said that, that you said josh where where it's like in 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 a lot of the great batman movies of the past i think a lot of people will freely admit that even in some of the great ones like the dark Knight, um, the villain at times or even for the whole movie can be more interesting than Batman himself. I feel like this is the first movie where Batman is unequivocally the most interesting and the most explored character. Um, and so the fact that it really dug deep into his psychology, the fact that it is an earnest um, detective story really just makes this the Batman movie. I think I'm going to end up revisiting the most over time. My actual favorite movie might still be the animated mask of the phantasm which if if it's still streaming on hbo highly recommend to everyone out there um but yeah in terms of live action i think this might be the one for me yeah and i knew that i knew there would be a discussion about animated batman at some point because i 
I just know how much you love that, Trent. Um, but in terms of the live action, uh, just in the Dark Knight has such a solid place in my heart because, uh, like you know, I I won't call it the thing that made me fall in love with stories. That's probably Harry Potter, but the Dark Knight really transitioned my love for storytelling into a love for movie making. Um, like merging those two things together because obviously it's like a long-standing IP that everybody's familiar with, but told in such a unique and striking way, um, basically as a, a, a comp to the movie Heat. And I remember watching that when I was 13 or 14 and just like not knowing that a movie could be made like that and be that scary and harrowing and uh, just overall unique and still have a lot of fidelity to the source material. I just like was that one still holds the cup for me um, at this moment, but this might be number two. Um, I, I honestly, at least taking away from it, what I have on first viewing, I think I like it better than Batman begins. I definitely like it better than the dark Knight rises. Um, it's been a very long time that I've watched since I've watched any Michael Keaton, Batman, or anything within that realm. And I've actually not watched aside from man of steel. I don't think I've watched any of the DC films beginning to end just cause I kind of knew I was setting myself. You had better up. things to do with your time. I had better things to do. I had laundry to do. I had, <laughs> you know, I, I, I had, I had eyebrow hairs to pluck. I just, you know, there are better ways to, you know, but uh, all that to say, no, this, I think, uh, is very, very high up on the list. Maybe it'll grow in my estimation beyond the dark night. Uh, who knows? It, it's just, it was so wholly unique and I'm just, I, I feel very blessed to have gotten it and, and for it to have worked as well as it did. Obviously it goes one Batman versus Superman. <laughs> <laughs> um, but on, on the real, like I think, I'm all like, I need more time. I actually don't. I was thinking about this last night. How much am I going to want to rewatch this movie? Because it's fantastic. I, I'm a little, I'm a little scaredy cat sometimes guys. I'm not going to lie. I get, you know, that, uh, the, the thriller movies or horror movies give me sometimes. And this was definitely the darkest out of any of the Batman movies. I felt like, so for sure, I almost, I almost feel like I won't come back to this as much, but, it will just among just upon first viewing experiences. I still love the movie, um, and I think it. I, I I'm not ready to say it's the best one yet. I'm. It's really close, but I think that's what's so impressive about it is that I'm. We're all saying it might be the best one yet after just one viewing experience, uh, which is pretty incredible for a movie to do that with when it has a lot of competition too. Um, I do think. It, I don't know if we get like I don't know if we get this exact movie if we didn't get the Dark Knight first. I, I think there is still a enough of a similarity there um, to kind of have like a, a groundwork for these kinds of Batman movies work. Uh, so I'm gonna honestly I think it's one A one B one A being the Dark Knight one B being this movie. So that's where I that's where I'm gonna sit with it. Um, I almost feel like this the Dark Knight I find a better movie but I find this a better Batman movie. Um, right. And, and, okay. I think, and I think that's where, cause, cause I hold the controversial opinion 
that I think the Batman Begins is better than the Dark Knight purely because I think Batman Begins is a better Batman story. So I think that also plays in, and I should have disclaimed that too for the Dark Knight. I'm not taking anything away from the filmmaking or the impact that had. But I think since Batman is not the most compelling character in the Dark Knight, that's always going to not hold it back per se for me, but but going to color my opinion when I'm talking about Batman movies. Mm-hmm. Since he's not the most compelling character to me compared to Heath Ledger's Joker or Gary Oldman's um, Gordon or even Aaron Eckhart's Harvey Dent. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I I completely agree with that. Uh, something Trent and I did a while ago was rank all the Marvel movies by tiers or, or grades, so to speak. You know, from F to all the way up to A plus and then S is reserved for movies uh, in an elite stratosphere. Superior uh what get uh give me your grade each of you for this movie based on that scale i'm giving it the a plus i'm not ready to full on say s tier but but this this movie was pretty much everything i wanted it to be um there there's there's not no scene that i would flat out omit there there's no character that i would change any drastic way i think the themes could have been explored in a little bit deeper in some scenes, maybe, but I think overall everything really resoundingly works for this. So, so firmly a plus for me. I might agree. Um, and last night coming away, I was like, this is an a minus to an a, but as we talk about it more, you know, you think about all the things that frankly were going against this movie between the three hour runtime, between the fact that this is well, trod territory from a story standpoint from an ip standpoint and none of those things really ultimately played in for a movie that was long enough and dark enough that it should have just felt like you were being injected with lithium for three straight hours like it was thrilling and propulsive and engaging i felt like there were very few down moments and the down moments were there for a reason. They were very contemplative. They were character building. I'm not ready to give it an S just yet. Like I might have to see how it holds up on the rewatch, but this was a really great thriller movie and a really just, it was, it was fun as fun as you can have for something as dark and brooding as something like this is. I had a great time. Uh, 1000%. I'm also in firmly in team A+. Uh, it is not quite enough for me to say this is one of the greatest comic book movies of all time yet, but I think it's pretty dang close. And I, yeah, I'm not going to repeat everything you guys just said, but I'm, I'm with you. A plus for me. All right. That's going to do it for our review. I have a quick little game if you guys are down to, to stay and play. Yeah. We'll end this on a on a lighter, joy, laughter-filled uh, discussion, all right? So I have a new segment for us today. It's called The Multiverse of Madness. Oh! We will compare things in this movie to other things that are alike it in pop culture. And you have to decide which is better. So our first question, which one of these characters were better? And the category is Batman villains wearing masks that make their speech difficult to understand. (laughs) And your choices are Bane or the Riddler. Mm. Well, considering that I actually could understand the Riddler pretty well, (laughs) considering the fact that I actually quote Bane shockingly regularly for a movie that's 10 years old, 
Uh, I got to go with Bane on this one. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the thing. Bane is just more iconic because it is such... Like, the Riddler choices, like, they're choices that have been made before to make a character completely unhinged in the way that he is. Like, just singing opera randomly in a holding (laughs) cell. Nobody has done what Tom Hardy did with Bane, and nobody's ever going to do it again. At least without having it be a clear act of mimicry. Because, and you're never going to get lines like, you came to watch your city burn. Like, you're never going to get to speak in that voice, like, and people aren't going to know that you're referencing Bane. Like, it's just like, he has made his place in the culture, for better or worse. I don't think that's a great movie. I don't even think it's a great character. He dies in a very piddly manner. Yep. But, (laughs) but look, he makes his mark. So I think Bane's better. Oh, wow. We got, okay, two for Bane. I was going to say the Riddler, personally, but mm. uh, I, I dig I, it. I it. All right. Explain, uh, next. explain your reasoning. What, why the Riddler? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I know I was kind of hard on him at first, but I just felt more, I felt more afraid of the Riddler than I did of Bane. That I, uh, that I would agree with, 100%. Yes. I think he was a more menacing villain. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I, not that Bane wasn't, but you know, I, mean, the, I think it's honestly it's the memes for me. It's the <laughs> the meme, the memes tarnish Bane as a villain for me. You know, like and when, I remember when I first saw that, I was like, man, this is the best. And then now I'm like, okay, it's kind of funny now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I will but, say like that first moment where the Riddler, like you can just barely see the glint of his goggles behind the mayor in the darkness of his apartment horrifying yes oh yeah oh my gosh really well done super terrifying um all right next category is henchman level side characters with horrible accuracy are we choosing gotham city pd or stormtroopers (laughs) oh that's actually good that's really good um that's tough actually i so we need to know like what basis we are ranking. Are we like saying which of them has the worst aim? Like, no, no, no. Say- I, okay. We'll say, well, I guess we could say we could do that. Uh, which, which, uh, which characters do you find? Do you find better? Again, like stormtroopers are obviously more iconic, like Gotham PD right. as fumbling as they are. They're just cops. Like yeah. they're everyday cops. Yeah. That, that, that's where I lean. But forever, you know, I guess to, to lay the debate down, uh, have an answer. Who does have worse aim? I, f- I feel like... Mm. I mean, considering the GCPD couldn't hit Batman when he was just going up a stairwell, <laughs> and it's like him moving... <laughs> he, he's just literally go- <laughs> literally going up, and they couldn't do anything. That That's pretty bad. Like At least for the Stormtroopers, they have like Jedi with lightsabers, but it's just like you can't that's hit true. a dude slowly moving up a spiral staircase. Um, yeah, that I, 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 I'm with you on that. I think GCPD aim pretty off, like pretty bad. But those guys, I will shooting range. I will say, uh, I did watch, I did watch two stormtroopers in the first season of the Mandalorian fail to hit a, a can lying in the sand in front of them. <laughs> so I, they're never going to make it easy, but that's we'll true. Gotham City PD. Um, next category, which character is better? And we're talking about the specific actor playing this character for, for the ones I'm about to name. Mm. Characters who lost their parents and struggled to keep their identity a secret. 
Peter Parker, played by Tom Holland, or Bruce Wayne, Robert Pattinson? Oh, man. Don't do this. Sorry. Winston's much. going crazy right now. Oh, that's that's interesting. So uh, it's apples and oranges. Like, it's day and night, almost literally. Because, like, you know, now you could definitely argue Peter Parker deals with it way better. Like, he, uh, I think he's... From the whole parents dying thing, he has a pretty level head. Like, he barely ever, if ever, brings it up. Like, he's not, like, I don't know. He's not dripping with resentment. He's not caring, like, he's not listening to, like, uh, uh, to punk music all the time. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I'm going to I'm gonna pick Holland because his is very well stood the test of time. Yes. Um, and he's grown with the character. Like maybe we'll say Pattinson in 10 years. Uh, we'll yeah. see. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the conversations about how good this Batman is or the legacy of Pattinson really rests on sequels since we only have one movie for him and we have like trilogies for a lot of these other kind of comparisons. So, so yeah, I think we need some time. Plus, at this point, like I like I said, I loved how silent and brooding his Bruce Wayne is in this one. That said, the fact that he makes no effort to give Bruce Wayne like a job or anything on the public to like distract or look at, I'm like, hmm, I wonder who is the Batman brute this guy brooding in his mansion, never leaving all the time. Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I think I'm gonna stick with Tom Holland's Peter Parker as well, but we'll see. We'll see what Robert Robert Batty give us in uh future installments of the batman um, i, I, really, I want to mention uh if either of you are fans of the comedy of Patton oswald uh one of yes. his one of his stand-up routines from a few years ago i think he speaks to this version of batman where he says like this guy would never turn into a vigilante in 2022 he would literally just become the most annoying slam poet in town yes <laughs> Like literally just like waxing poetic about like the day he watched his parents get killed. And like, <laughs> this is that version of Batman. If he still did decide to become a vigilante, like he is one step away oh, from essentially getting up on stage at the library. Like, yes, hundred percent. That's anyway. so accurate, man. Hey, oh, man. That's a good one. Man. That's a good one. <laughs> um, okay. Next one is Batmobiles. So what is the best Batmobile? The three I selected here, and you can, um, as Winston tries to usurp me in the background, uh, which is the best iteration of the Batmobile? And you can submit your own if you don't like these choices. But is the one we got in today's Batman movie or this this weekend's Batman movie, The Dark Knight or Batman Returns? Those are like the iconic Batman trilogies. I, I think for me... Uh keaton's is just like when I, as a kid like when you imagine what the batmobile looks like that 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 kind of is what i always pictured so so for sheer childhood fulfillment i gotta go with keaton's yeah keaton's has its place in the culture very well cemented and i think they have either a model of it or the actual one on display at one of the smithsonian museums and that mm -hmm. thing i mean it looks like it literally just looks like a bullet got turned into a car like it is just so slick and like you can believe this thing can go 300 miles an hour um but i loved the grounded nature that they brought to i believe this is a plymouth barracuda that they uh used for robert pattinson's um batmobile and the fact that they made it as intimidating and just rocket like as they did while also making it like it's just kind of a antique restored car 
Like that was freaking cool. I thought that was a really cool cho- choice and just contributed to the grounded nature of this movie. But I'm, I'm yeah, for the, for the sake of content, I'm going to go with that one. I'm going to go with the, the R Pats, uh, Batmobile. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Oh man. I, I think you actually swayed me here, John. I think I'm going to go with Robert Bat's Batmobile as well. I do. It was between Keaton and Pattinson to me. I mean, that Keaton Batmobile is so iconic and I'm pretty sure I had it as like a hot wheel or something growing up. Like, it's just like, this is dope. But I thought, and this speaks to just Batman in general in this film. It was a nice uh, departure from the kind of like lavish and luxurious equipment that Christian Bale's Batman got to use in all his movies to have this really like scrappy looking Batman, including the Batmobile itself. So I, uh, I like it. I like this. I like this Batmobile. Yes. The juxtaposition between just a a muscle car, but also having an arc reactor strapped to the back was like (laughs) the most genius thing. And I, I giggled like dash running on water in the Incredibles when that thing like revved behind the penguin in the theater, I giggled. I was like, (laughs) <laughs> it was so good. Like, oh, it was awesome. Uh, yeah, it was so awesome. Okay, last category is again Batman themed. Which was the best bat suit? And I'm gonna open this up to to all to several of the Batman. We've got Pattinson, Affleck, Bale, Keaton, Kilmer. Whose bat suit did you like the best? All right, for me, this goes to Pattinson for two very specific reasons. So okay. a, a weird thing Trent has about his bat suits is like, I like the long, heavy, flowy capes. Mm. Uh, I, I always hate it. I understood narratively why it was had to be this way. I always hated, though, that Christian Bale's was like this thin, silky, not intimidating right. thing behind him. I love how heavy like Pattinson's is. And I like that like he has this like metal body armor on the top, but the cowl looks homemade. Like it's all leathery and wrinkled. And that the bat emblem is just a battering that he can put in the center of his chest. Like those that two things awesome. was just top notch stuff. Yeah, I'm caught on this one because I think Christian Bale's bat suit was one of those where they really got into the specifics of it more, especially in the Dark Knight where they're talking about like how they're modifying it constantly to make it lighter, more durable. Um, and essentially like less penetrable and I don't know something about like the detail that goes into them putting that together and like, you know, basically modifying it in real time so that he can protect against like Rottweilers or, uh, you know, little things that could unexpectedly attack him. I, I feel like I'm, I'm leaning toward the, the bail suit for now. Cause like, I think it's a kind of a happy medium between the relative simplicity homemadeness of Pattinson's and then the total like mecha Godzilla like machine nature of Batfleck, which I, I always felt like was just overdoing it a little bit. Um but uh I think it's a good kind of median. So I'm gonna I'm a I'm gonna pull a heat check here. And I'm not talking about Mecha Godzilla suit, but I am talking about what he was wearing in the Snyder cut. And I think that Ben Affleck's suit is the best. I think it looks the cleanest. I It's definitely the I, cleanest. That's true. I love it so much. It's like it's a perfect combination of it looks like a comic book 
superhero suit, mm. but it doesn't look too flashy for Gotham City. It's like got a nice, it's just got a nice look to it. The logo's a little bit bigger. There's a good contrast between the black of the logo and the light gray of the suit. I just, it's clean. I I love that suit. It's very, yeah, I, I like it a lot. He does look good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, that's going to do it for uh for my little game here. Thanks for, thanks for playing everybody. Uh, I have to, I might have to put some polls on social media this week to see, you know, the real winner to this question, who has the best bat suit. Anyways, guys, that's going to do it for our discussion today. This was a long time, but it was a good time. Thanks for sticking around. Yeah, absolutely. Had a blast. Much like the movie itself. Like <laughs> Exactly. I I can't wait to talk about this more in the future. I'm, I'm sure we'll be texting each other about it as we just continue to ruminate on it. So, uh, guys, thank you so much for joining. You made this podcast fantastic. Thank you all for listening. As always, like subscribe to this podcast wherever you get it and follow us on social media at the stinger pod we will be back next week with some content i'm not i'm not going to tell you what it is yet but we will be back next week have a good week and thank you all for listening